Welcome to Beyond the Mat. Hey yo, welcome to Beyond the Mat, where it's all about the things and stuff. It's like this and like that, sitting in a lotus seat. We breathe deep from our heads to our feet till we feel inner heat. A little bit of rhythm for your soul. Stretching out your minds from your head to your toes. We in our flow state, we don't know no hate. We end up feeling great though, so we correlate. Coil snake gonna rise sunshine. We take our time to appreciate divine grace. It takes place in a pace in the inner states. From a country road down to the interstate We contemplate this, we here to make this We here to break this, but we never fake this We never hate kids, we in the love vibe Me and my whole tribe, we gonna try to be fly with the sunshine Hey folks, how's it going out there in Beyonderland? Anyways, what's up with that word? Anyways, folks, folks, folks And it's got a silent L, folk, folks I know it means like a group of people. I'm pretty sure it means any old group of people, any variety of races or ages or cultures. Uh, I'm guessing here. Hopefully it doesn't have some kind of negative connotation to it because I've been saying that forever, ever. Uh, There's folk music out there, which is always so like old timey sounding. It's like a different style altogether. It's like less refined. It's more scratchy. It's more raw sounding. There's no editing done that kind of sound but it's always very old-timey songs too about chopping wood and carrying water getting enlightened about some fact or other of life and then chopping more wood and carrying more water out on ye old farm ranch in the olden days and then folk art folk art is it's kind of the same stuff isn't it it's like visually though it's like crude rudimentary almost beginner kind of stuff but it's not beginner they do this on purpose folks and they spend so many years to refine this very beginner looking style uh yeah they do it on purpose don't they folks oh geez ah, i just said it again just slipped right out so let's try and find a new word instead of saying folks or let's go further let's stop saying ladies and gentlemen too because there's so many more ways to address people nowadays so maybe in the comments or email j j a y at jcoleyoga.ca and give me some ideas folks that's it that's the last time i'm ever gonna say it i promise no i'll probably say it in the next episode because i'll probably forget uh molly faye the beagle is doing well she doesn't need to wear the cone anymore which is too bad because she was starting to draw all this attention and it was good. It was socializing her a little bit better and all that constant attention whenever we go for a walk. Oh, and she was like doing this thing where, so like I let her choose where she wants to go for for a walk in the morning and allow for that time. And I let her choose and she had been wanting to go to these more populated places during our walks. So I would take her to those places. And then when the cone was off, she was just like, eh, whatever, like take it or leave it. Like who cares about people? She's like, they don't pay attention to me anymore. I don't have my cone. So it was like, it was like she knew, she knew the cone was doing it. And now she just wants the regular old park up the street from here. That's all good though, because she's healed. No more licking or obsessive scratching and obsessive licking. It was like, oh, so, so, that's the hardest thing about pets, man. 
They don't speak English. At least with kids, you know, after a while, they start to get it. You can't, you can tell them things like, don't scratch it or it'll get worse, dear. And they'll generally stop or they'll try to stop. You know, they'll put a good effort, but good luck with the dog, man. Oh, uh, yeah, and I've been talking to this dog. I've been talking to both both these these pets, the cat and the dog, and I'm talking to them like they're people. I've been alone with these animals now for 15 days. That's 15 days without a flatmate. So I cannot remember the last time I've ever spent 15 days all alone. I mean, we have neighbors that I see. I have friends and clients, but like I've always lived with someone. There's always been someone in my immediate space. And it's so weird, but it's like weird to be alone, but I, I love it at the same time. And I like having control over everything that happens. I love how quiet it's been. Uh, I love just living according to only my schedule. And I don't know, uh, and I tend to the pets on a whole new time frame. And it's working for everybody. Uh, the roomie, the roomie, she will be back in another 15 days. So. Whew, there's lots of time for me to go absolutely insane talking to animals. I'll let you know when they start talking back to me. Lots of time to keep redesigning every room in the apartment. Oh, guess what, Rumi? I've moved everything around four or five times by now. And I don't know, I'm pretty sure that I talk about it in this episode. And uh, speaking of episodes, you know what? Let's get this show started. I've been rambling on for long enough. Today's show is a doozy. We have a human cut from the same metaphysical cloth as myself today. But, but first, oh, wait a second. I should tell you about this new book that I wrote. I wrote a freaking book. What? How did this happen? It took over two years. Why did this happen? Because people asked me to help them meditate. When did it happen? Uh, what? It's out right now. Buy the ebook on my website, www.jcoleyoga.ca, or pre order your printed version today. This show is featuring Dr. Christine Bradstreet. Dr. Bradstreet is a retired chiropractor who enjoys helping people to heal in more than just the physical dimension. Dr. Christine is a certified health and life coach and a metaphysician. She teaches people to examine their thoughts and beliefs and then offers ways to help change them and create healing in any areas of their lives from physical, emotional, financial, relationships, or spiritual. Christine can be found on social media and through her website, christinebradstreet.com. Okay, people, make some noise for Dr. Christine Bradstreet. Yeah, it sounds good. Good. All right, and your picture finally came up. Oh, excellent. (laughs) So it's kind of like we're looking at each other. I right. I don't know if mine has a picture or not. Uh, I haven't no. used I haven't used Skype in probably ten years, and I just downloaded it last week just to use for these podcasts. Uh, right. Because uh, I don't know, I stopped using it a while ago because the quality just wasn't there, and uh, and Facebook their chat line really took off, so I've done that quite a bit. And, uh, and then just telephone calls for everybody else. But I see Skype has come a long way. 
in the in what they do, <laughs> what they're supposed to do. <laughs> like they were one of the first like chat kind of clients that would connect people like this. Exactly. Like everyone used Skype to do video, and I remember it was so choppy that it was annoying. And then uh, I also know a lot of uh, podcasters use Skype, and they do these Skype podcasts, and uh, it's it's always choppy and messy. So the audio comes out pretty good, though. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Better bandwidth. Yeah. All right, so let's Excellent. yeah, let's just get started right away since I'm so late. <laughs> well, sure. welcome Christine to Beyond the Mat, and we are talking about today one of my favorite things in life, metaphysics. <laughs> uh, Mind. Cool. Um, so you uh, also did uh, chiropractic. You had a chiropractic practice. That's, that's that's a mouthful. Chiropractic practice. You said that right. Yes, yes. I was a chiropractor for over twenty years. Wow. And transitioned totally into metaphysical healing as opposed to the the hands-on physical work of chiropractic. Well, how does that transpire? I mean, it must take. I mean, learning just to, to do the one thing, you know. Uh, and that alone is, is a lot. And then trying to like, you know, then transition and reshape it into something else. That's got to be a challenge. That was quite challenging. And I was so very immersed into my chiropractic practice. All my friends were chiropractors. My my work and my social and family life all blended together uh, through chiropractic. But there was an interesting phenomenon in that I often would see in my patients that um, usually the ones that didn't respond well to care would often have a lot of limiting beliefs either about their pain or chronic pain or about healing in general, or maybe they were having spillover problems in their finances or in their relationships or their careers. And that just so fascinated me about how the mind and the body work together. And even in ways that may not seem a direct connection, you know, I really could see how people's thoughts and beliefs were affecting their physical health. And I was beginning to read a lot of metaphysical authors um, like Catherine Ponders, uh, dynamic laws of healing, um, other, oh golly, there's so many of them today, um, you know, the power of positive thinking and um, other, even even Tony Robbins, you know, just the power of thought, uh, speakers and authors on the power of thought. And I got more and more fascinated by it. And then I actually stumbled upon the works of Mary Baker Eddy, who started the whole Christian science movement, which which really is based on metaphysical healing. So I got reading more about that. And I became less and less interested in working on the physical body, which, you know, from a spiritual and metaphysical standpoint was very exciting and great, but it was a not a good financial decision, considering that I was running a business that depended on me working on physical bodies. But I was <laughs> yeah. able 
<laughs> but I was able to navigate that transition gradually and ultimately sold the chiropractic practice. And, you know, fast forward to where we are today. Today I do um, metaphysical healing work, both remotely or or one-on-one with people privately, and life coaching. Wow, that's amazing. So you ended up like selling the chiropractic practice so like to another to another doctor so like you sold it the way like when someone sells a business they sell all of, all of their clients and everything and i i guess i never thought of a, a doctors doing something like that yes that can happen and i think it's not uncommon you know even in a dental practice um or you know uh, maybe not a, a medical doctor's office Uh, because people don't really practice independently like that anymore. But I was able to sell a turnkey practice where another um, more recently graduating chiropractor came in and we were very compatible wise, you know, technique and personality wise. So the patients accepted him really well. And, and he's still in practice today. That was many years ago and he's grown the business and he's doing great too. So it was win-win. Wow. So, and just so everybody listening knows what we're even talking about, in case they don't, chiropractic is like when, and I know it's more than this, but this is when you snap people's bones <laughs> into place, right? Like, sort there's, of. There's a little bit of like snapping and pulling going on. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll call it a chiropractic adjustment. And the <laughs> premise. Yeah, and it, sometimes you feel a snap or a crack, but actually there are several techniques where you don't experience that either. Yeah. It just really depends on the particular technique that the doctor is using. But the premise is that the physical body can come out of alignment and that puts pressure or irritation on the, the nervous system as the nerves exit the spine. And because that nervous system is your body's communication system it interferes with the communications both going from brain to body and body to brain and then in theory you know the body is not going to work as well because those messages are being interfered with right so i guess by understanding this whole system that's how you started to see the parallel in the more metaphysical side how uh because it is a system that we have in our physical body there's also a system vibrating right alongside of it in a in, in another way <laughs> yes yeah exactly and and so taking it one level higher i started thinking about well you know what's going on up above the spine you know the thoughts and beliefs in uh, both conscious and subconscious in a person's mind and belief structure and how is that affecting the physical body and even to go to take it to another spiritual level you know whatever we decide to call it there's a universal force there's a universal intelligence that is responsible for coordinating and governing all the functions of the universe, including our bodies. And so how does that work through us? How does that flow through us from, you know, from above down and then from the inside out to create harmony and healing in our bodies? And then that's what transitioned me more into the metaphysics. Right. 
Yeah, and uh, I guess just you probably are someone who has that like thirst for knowledge, so you always want to keep learning, and that you know by learning this this that this other stuff exists, you know, that's just opening up a whole new rabbit hole to go down. Absolutely, you know, I just would read any book I could find or listen to any speaker I could listen to and uh, learn learn new things from each author but really there's a the core the core theme of your thoughts creating your reality or your thoughts creating your physical world was a common theme that that really was across all the different uh, speakers and writers that I was studying and so that's what I teach people today, both through my writing and blogging and workshops and and one on work that one on one work that I do with people. Yeah, geez, and it's so cool that you're using it to share back with the world again because there's this thing that goes on right now, and a lot of people do it, and I've been guilty of it myself. Is collecting knowledge, and so. People will like read and read and learn and study and then just collect it and never do anything with it. And you'll just be this guy with all this stuff in your head or lady and you'll just never use it to help the world. And that is kind of it's kind of hoarding knowledge. And it's like, what's the point of that? So it's really cool that you actually like use it to help people. Yes, that is definitely my goal, but I can understand where you're coming from because I feel like I have done that myself, you know, reading and collecting knowledge. And then I think you sort of forget that not everybody has this knowledge. You can, you can become so versed in something that, or, or talking within your little inner circle about it that you forget that this is something that not everybody has studied or learned about or understands and that you have a wealth of information to share to people with the goal of, of just helping. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, what, what else is there in life to if, you know, if you can't share with someone? And I think I just talked about this on a podcast yesterday because um, you can be out in the most beautiful field of flowers with the waterfall pouring down and marshmallow clouds above. And, you know, you can be soaking in all this beauty as well as knowledge. And what's, but what is the point of it when you can't share it with anybody, when you can't talk about how the clouds look like marshmallows or you can't discuss the, the beauty that you went through. And I know some things are just for us. Some things are just... Like, uh, sometimes I forget my phone and I call that a me moment. It was just for me. And, you know, you'll forget your phone and something beautiful will happen. But at the same time, that is cool to have a me moment once in a while. But I mean, to have someone to be able to, to to be able to share with and to have people to share it with is also just as equally as, as beautiful. Absolutely. And I think that that enhances it for everybody. So if, you know, if you've learned or discovered something and then you share it with somebody else, you're getting to experience it all over again as well. And so that just grows. Yeah. Um, do you, so do you get out into nature as well? Are you able to do that where you live? Yes, absolutely. I, I am almost always outside. I like to work outside when I'm on my computer. I, I, I'm not a happy person if I'm not getting outside every day. Yeah. Um, yeah, me too. I live in a 
fortunately, I live in a place. It's very rustic. There's no sidewalks. Uh, <laughs> you kind of we just kind of stroll down to the end of the street, and there's a park for children and pets to play in together. And uh, it's really beautiful that way. But then you can just drive down into the city as well. Like it's right there. So it's oh, kinda, that's perfect. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, I would like to not ever have to go into the city <laughs> ever again. That would be nice. <laughs> But uh, it's just so weird the way that the world is almost designed to keep us coming back to cities now. And they want you to live closer to one. Like it's, It becomes really difficult to live on your own away from all that. And uh, I know because my dad had a, had a farm for the longest time that we grew most of our food. So it, it's, a, it's a whole other challenge. It's a whole other world. That sounds fascinating, actually. You know, I like having a city close by for when I want to get into one, but I don't usually feel the need to get into it. I think just knowing that it's there is enough for me. Yeah. Uh, geez, I don't know. The grocery stores are really nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like my tofu. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, so tell me about uh, life coaching. How does that, how did that become a thing? And how did that tie in with everything else? And was that like the last thing that you've kind of stepped into? I've blended the, the life coaching with the metaphysics together. So when people work with me one-on-one -on -one, uh, with the life coaching, it, it could be any area of their life that we're talking about. It could be their physical health, their relationships, their careers, their finances, maybe life transitions. And metaphysical concepts come into play really in any life topic that we're talking about. It's very, you know, my approach is non-denominational, but it's, you know, the metaphysical concepts of um, your thoughts and beliefs creating your reality and how you can use them to shift the picture that you see in your life. I, I think that what happened at the beginning is I struggled a bit with finding the words that made sense to people. So calling myself a metaphysician didn't make sense to most people. They didn't know what that meant or they had misconceptions about it you know, maybe meaning the occult or witchcraft, which is not what it is. Uh, you know, metaphysics, just, you know, meta, the prefix meta just means above or beyond in physics, dealing with the physical. So in metaphysics, we're just dealing above and beyond the physical realm. So the realm of thought. And life coaching, although it's funny, that's also a word that, that a lot of people maybe don't know exactly what that means at least it was a word that had more recognizability than right. metaphysician right so all my writing um you know if you read my blog articles or, or go to my website all my writing has metaphysical concepts within it but sometimes i'm talking about productivity on the job or sometimes i'm talking about overcoming chronic pain, or sometimes I'm talking about, um, you know, relationships, uh, but metaphysics is the theme that, that crosses through all of the topics. Right. And um, 
yeah, so I guess that's kind of like the headline. <laughs> and through that, I mean, how does someone even like, how does someone find you and approach and say, look, doctor, I need help with my, with my life. Like, how does that even, how does that transpire? Well, mostly it's word of mouth, but I do put a lot of content out on the web for people to learn about metaphysics and life coaching and to find me. I have a blog that I host at medium.com. Have you have you seen Medium or read many of the articles there? Uh, I've been to a few, yeah. Yeah. So it basically Medium is a blog hosting platform. So rather than me hosting it on my own like WordPress site, right. I hosted at Medium. And uh, so I people can find me there just by doing a search for Christine Bradstreet. Oh, cool. And I also, Medium also publishes my online publication or magazine that's called Change Your Mind, Change Your Life. Okay. That's also hosted on Medium, but at the publication, there's several authors, not just myself. Or people can go to my website, which is simply christinebradstreet.com, and there's a host of information there about what I do and how to contact me. Hmm. And do you get into, like... uh the Facebook ads and all that kind of stuff, or is it mainly word of mouth and through your own website? It's mainly word of mouth and through the website and through the blog articles. Uh, I have not gotten into promoting Facebook ads or promoting my posts on Instagram. I'm, I'm curious about it. I just haven't gone down that road yet. Uh, sometimes I think that, um, I've been I've been letting the growth unfold naturally, but I do occasionally think that if I promoted some ads, it might grow a little faster. Yeah, well, geez. Uh, so we were signed to a record label in Ontario, Canada, and he, he, the owner, used to use us almost like as his little guinea pigs when he, his label was just starting out, and he would do all these different online uh, promotions for us. And what it really came down to, which I was shocked, was that it doesn't matter what your product is or what your business is, for Facebook anyways, $200 minimum to buy into their ad system before you see any real, like real financial returns. Uh, so people, you know, will spend like 30, 40, and anywhere just under 100 on these ads and they find them that they're... They find that they don't, you know, that they don't reach as many people as, as they would have, have hoped to. And yeah, it, it, that's what it comes down to. What is the number that a comfortable number he had figured out was about 200 per month that you put into just Facebook ads. And then there's all your other stuff, you know, you still need your business okay. cards and you still need your website and you still need all that. But yeah, right. so and then uh, on the flip side of that, the people ha- have said like, like business people are like, well, yeah, that's, that's a small price to pay $200 a month to get uh, clients coming in through the door. And sure. so, yeah, it, it's a, I've, I've used it and I feel that it works and I've used the Instagram. Instagram was kind of weird. Cause I'm like, I'm just getting people to look at a picture. Right. Whereas Facebook's more engaging. You can, you can send them through to your website and there was more options. And uh, right. yeah, so it's definitely worked for me. And 
I would recommend it to other people. But you know, if you really, really want that big, that big push, and you don't understand why, it's it's the two hundred dollar mark for sure. Uh, so it's oh. it's so cool that these things exist though too today to like help us out. Absolutely. When I think of the reach that we have today, and it's and it's worldwide. I mean, people can find you all around the world. And that just fascinates me. And I can find other, you know, really amazing people that are putting out great content. I can find them. And I never would have been able to do that, you know, 10, no. 20 years. No. What, I'm in the- what, what a lot of people don't even think about, <laughs> coming from a musician point of view, is uh, going to a print shop, picking up a giant box of paper, getting a tape gun and a staple gun, walking around the city for hours and hours and putting signs up on every telephone pole only to have a guy come around and rip most of them down the next day. Uh, you know, and now it's like, oh, I just a few clicks of a button and I'm going to reach just as many people like, oh, okay, for the same price. Yeah. All right, cool. So, yeah. That's great. There's, there's that. Well, I have it on my list. Uh, by the end of the year, I'm going to have two online courses available. And I think that, that would be a good opportunity for me to then use the Facebook ads because it'll be more of a product as a, that's available as opposed to a concept. Right. Yeah. So what were you thinking of putting into your, into your, uh, your workshops? The online courses I'm working on now, one is a course on mastering happiness, and the other is a course on um, using visualization for weight loss. Okay. Um, Yeah, so how do you get someone to be a little more happy? I mean, I use meditation myself, and it really... It really works because there's days that I don't do it. And then halfway through the day, I'm like, why didn't I do that? <laughs> right. Right. Well, absolutely. Meditation is is part of the of what I talk about in the course. You know, we talk about where does happiness really come from? So, you know, you have the sort of instant excitement that you can get from some material thing, you know, maybe a promotion at work or maybe you bought a new car or a new pair of shoes that gives you like a little jump of excitement, but that's not true inner happiness. So then we delve down in ways that you can get in touch with your core of happiness, where happiness and joy really resides and some happiness hacks of what you can do to enhance happiness, like embracing your inner child and um, examining your uh, personality traits that might be sabotaging your happiness, such as perfectionism or rushing all the time or, you know, um, oh, goodness, all the, all the slides are blending in my head. But <laughs> I probably have about 20 happiness hacks in addition to, you know, just discovering where your true happiness resides and how you can get in touch with that. And meditation is one way to do that. Mm. I've got uh, one great little piece because this is useful for me, meditation for uh, fidgety, ADD, you know, type A type personalities and how you can use mindfulness in your everyday activities as a form of meditation because uh, 
that one works well for my own personal inner workings. So, geez, one of the things uh, aside from, you know, meditating and getting out in nature, one of the things that's an interesting list or not an interesting list, the thing is that's interesting is lists. And I'm someone who makes thousands of lists and then I have lists about my lists and then telling me where to look for other lists in the house. It's like a list egg hunt all the time. And uh, one of the cool little tricks that I've learned for people like me who are list makers is that you have like a long list, like your big one, and then you take three or four items from that and put them on a short list and keep that in your pocket. And it, it stops you from getting so overwhelmed with the massive list of things that you've created for yourself. And it allows you to just focus on just, you know, a few things that you can do right now today to get off of the master list. And that alone, like, wow, you know, cause before I would, I would be so overwhelmed looking at, you know, there's a hundred things I have to do, but it's like, yeah, but it's a hundred things this month, you know, it's not a hundred things right. today, but seeing that list all the time. And, and the thing about the big list is that you keep adding to it. <laughs> so it never seems to, right. it never does shrink as, as small as you want it to be. So by giving right. yourself a small list that you will see shrink down every day, every day, it makes you feel really good. And it, I'm sure that includes ha happiness a little bit. Absolutely. And a sense of inner peace. Uh, I like that a lot. I also am a list maker. And you reminded me just when this phone call came in, I was working on a blog piece that talked about the the endless list that you never get to the bottom of it and how it might sound counterintuitive, but sometimes it's a better approach to slow down. Like when I see all my lists, my initial tendency is to want to speed up speed, you know, how fast can I get this done? Check this, check that, check this, check that. Yeah. But a better approach is to slow down. And when I slow down, I become much more efficient. I feel a lot better and much more at ease. And that, uh, the, the theme of the post is this is a lesson that I learned skiing in the water ski course. Are you a water ski? You know what? Or have you ever been? I, I have done water skiing and I love it. It is so much fun. And not, yes. and not a lot of people have tried water skiing. It just seems like it, any, a lot of my friends, and I know thousands of people, there's not too many people who have tried water skiing. And Yes, I, exactly. I and we love to ski in the slalom course. And in the slalom course, it's like as fast as you can, get to the first buoy and turn around it. And then you need to zoom across the lake and get to the second buoy and turn around it. So the tendency is to want to rush, like speed up, speed up, go faster, go faster. Yeah. And then your form just turns to crap and, and you make mistakes and you miss the buoy or you might even fall. So one day I just took a deep breath. I'm like, Christine, just slow down. Go through the course slowly. And then what do you know? It was like, well, it was an excellent pass. So I was using that as an analogy for your, you know, when you're working on a project or, or just in life with all these lists, the tendency is to want to rush it and speed up, but slow it down and, and just feel better and be more efficient and have nicer form and, and, and I th just think it's a better approach. That that sounds like a better water skiing experience altogether than what I've ever been through. 
I had a, I had my uncle who liked to try and flip us over as much as possible. Like he he drove the speed yes. he drove the speedboat, and mm-hmm. he knew he knew the wake that would come off the boat. He knew how to just rock the steering wheel a little bit, and it would make an extra wake happen or whatever the thing he was doing. He knew at any moment he could flip you over, whether you were on the skis or in one of those tubes or anything. He was new. Right. So I got good at, you know, trying to like get over the wake and try and jump it a little bit. And like that became like the fun challenge for me. But that's probably as crazy as I went. We never went through any any obstacle courses or any races or anything like that. Oh, funny. It is a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how many things there are in life that that people miss out on and I don't know if it's because of well, for me where I came from, people were, were a little bit narrow-minded. So you would tell them about doing something and nobody wanted anything to do with it. I mean, I uh, I tried for probably 10 years to get my friends in the city to come a 20-minute drive down to the beach where all my family lived. And I tried, yeah, close to 10 years, you know, hey, guys, let's go to the beach. Oh, no, the beach is stupid. Oh, the beach has got too much sand and, and this and that. And, you know, lo and behold, 10 years later, I finally got some people to come down to this beach uh, community where, where my family is all from. And sure enough, they had, there were nightclubs right on the water. You could go and get on yachts after and go out and party on yachts and everything and and come back again and, and make all these friends. And there's people from all over the world. It was like a little melting pot of culture, which was really cool. And, you know, everybody's like, man, why didn't you bring us here sooner? <laughs> you know, I'm like, guys, I literally spent 10 years trying to get you down here. <laughs> I've been telling you about this repeatedly. So yeah, I feel like water, water skiing is definitely one of those things, you know, that I've talked about quite a bit in my life to a lot of friends who you know just turn their nose up like oh, i don't know about that so oh it's, it's isn't uh, that a great story about how when you just open yourself up to a possibility just the amazing things that can unfold and what you miss out on when if you close yourself off like that yeah yeah and man it's i don't know why it's like so many people do it it's almost like a way of life. Uh, is it a protection kind of thing that we do to help ward off from life, I guess? <laughs> and uh, It's very easy to stay comfortable in the little path that you've worn for yourself, that's for sure. Uh, and I, I do it too. There's plenty of times, like I went, the first time in my life I went to an adult jazz class the other night and of course all day long I said oh I'm tired I don't want to go I don't I'm not going to know anybody I'm not that great of a dancer but I went anyway it was a lot of fun and I'm very glad I did it oh cool you said that was uh, jazz jazz dancing adult jazz yes I'm not sure I'm going to stick with that I might try their adult ballet instead but uh, i was trying it <laughs> cool geez you know uh, so i started doing tai chi last week and i am i am loving it it's nice to have uh, a little bit of body movement that's not like full force like yoga is all the time and right. it's just i don't know it's it's a moving meditation so it's just really beautiful 
And if you right. can find a nice, quiet teacher, and I'm, I'm only doing it on YouTube, following along that way. And when okay. my schedule clears up, there is a place in, in the city here who does Tai Chi every Sunday, every Saturday or Sunday. So there's actual classes and it's like a, their whole motto is uh, that this should be free and this should be for everyone. So they don't put a price on it uh, and it's a by donation kind of set up and apparently they're all all like that all tai chi centers are just kind of pay what you feel it was worth as a donation Interesting. well that's one of the things that's on my list <laughs> and yeah that that is definitely something that i want to explore and uh, it was something i tried in my early 20s and I was like, I'm going to figure this out. But back in the day, there were no YouTube videos. There were maybe four or five videos of like uh, people speaking Chinese and explaining what, what was going on. And I was just mimicking their movements. So I didn't know what, what the names of the moves were. I didn't know they were pushing energy and pulling it. I had no idea what was going on. I just, I just felt right. this weird attraction to wanting to do something like that. And, uh, yeah, in in your twenties, you're a little bit more, a little more high strung, a little more full of energy, and Tai Chi was starting to look like something that just old people do. So I did, I didn't really, right. I didn't really stick with it for very long. But now, uh, getting up there in age and <laughs> revisiting some of these things, and it's really, it's quite amazing. It's it's a I don't know. It's it's a moving meditation. That's the only way I can explain it. it it's right. Good. It's really good. Yeah. Why it appeals to me as well. Mm. Tell you a very short story about being open to possibilities and trying new things and how that can change your life. No way. We don't have the time for that today. <laughs> yeah, you can tell a story. Go ahead. <laughs> I will keep it very short. So uh, I was in a time in my life where things were quite challenging. I was a single mother and I was running my chiropractic practice full time and I was always on the go-go and, and stressing about quite a lot. And I got invited to go up to Maine for a winter weekend of like sledding and ice skating and things like that. I was living in Massachusetts at the time. So a group of about three friends were going up, and they, but they were going to be staying at a man's house. And I didn't, I had never met this man before, but my friends knew him and were all friends with him. So I thought, okay, that sounds fun. I'll do that. And when I was telling people my plans for the weekend, everybody said, Christine, you're going to go stay with a man you've never met before? And I would explain, oh, no, I'm going with this group of friends. We're all going up. And people thought I, that for some reason that that was a crazy idea, but it made sense to me. And then the day that I was supposed to leave was a very challenging day. I had been in court over some back child support that I was owed and I was trying very hard to catch up and stay on top of my work and I wasn't going to be driving up to Maine until about seven o'clock at night in the dark in the winter and a very big part of me just said oh forget it I'm not going I'm exhausted and this tiny voice inside me said just go Christine so I did and the man whose house we stayed at uh, turned 
out to be my husband <laughs> a year later. So <laughs> I met a most amazing man and uh, had a wonderful time. And oh, about a year and a half later, we were married. So wow. when that little voice inside you says to do it, you just got to listen to it. Yeah. Wow. That's such a beautiful story. Um, yeah. Imagine if you hadn't have gone just based on the fears of other people which is uh, right. kind of what I got from that. Uh, yeah, and that, exactly. little, that little voice, I don't know. There's, there's two little voices in my head. <laughs> sometimes it's good, sometimes it doesn't work out so well. <laughs> you know, when the, when the small voice comes to me from my, there's a spot in my gut or in my heart that one I trust. When it's the voice in my head, that's often doubt or fear talking. But that voice that comes from from that center chakra, that's what I trust. Yeah. But, I mean, it's not even the doubt or fear voices that I, I rarely have doubt or fear voices anymore. I've, I've kind of uh, conquered a lot of that stuff. And uh, what gets me, though, is the the idea that I might just let loose and go party for a few days. Those are the kind of like the party voices that I'm just like, oh, there's a good one and there's a bad one. This one likes to make uh -huh. all the bad decisions. <laughs> and this one, <laughs> this one just wants to stay home and watch Netflix where things are yes. safe. Things are definitely safe. But, you know, the, the time that I have gone out to make the bad decisions, I have met some of the most interesting people in my life. I've stepped out on the ledge. I put myself out there. Uh, I've made some of the lifelong friends, friends to this day, kind of people, like solid friends. And, you know, you don't... So nothing grows in the comfort zone. I keep saying that almost every podcast. Nothing grows at home, right. in the, in, which could be your home, is, is your comfort zone. Uh, it is for me, for sure. And then, uh, yeah, so nothing will grow. And if you don't get out there, then nobody knows that you exist and that you're doing the things that you're doing. So like, you gotta, you gotta put yourself out there. Amen. Amen. Uh, so that's cool that you went to Maine and that you know where Maine is because Maine borders with a province called New Brunswick. And I grew up primarily in New Brunswick and then also in oh. Nova Scotia, which is the next province down, down. Right. There. Uh, yeah. So, I, Maine and New Brunswick are pretty much the same. It's the same kind of geography, the same kind of people, the same kind of, like the same trees grow, you know, the same foliage, the same plants, the same kind of animals. So I find uh, a, a connection with people in Maine for sure. And uh, oh, that's all, all the New England states all the way down are just beautiful. Yes. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. I'm a Scottish, I'm Scottish. So that's where, that's where I come from. I definitely relate to all the people down there. I lived in New England for, oh, probably at least 25 years, but now I'm down in Florida. So now I have a very different tropical environment, but uh, I still spend my summers up in Maine. You, you've escaped the winter. I did. I escaped the winter and I, I love the warm weather. Just love it. Mm. Yeah, I moved to uh, British Columbia, so I'm the complete opposite end of the country. 
but it's it's this is also this is the California of Canada. This is the nicest place in the whole country uh, on on Vancouver Island. And, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I love it here. Uh, it's it's such a weird thing when you go from, I guess, think about just because of winter, a season and the struggle involved with that season. Like you need, you need all this extra money. You need to be able to keep yourself alive. You need snowsuits, and then you you need a whole nother wardrobe of clothes, right? Uh, you need tractors to dig people in and out of snow, snow drifts and things. And it, there's a, there's a real struggle and a real, there's something, there's something in a population that happens when everybody struggles together on these similar struggles like that. And then coming out here out West where they don't have that struggle, they've never even had a snow day. They don't even know what it means to have a day off in the winter because it snowed (laughs) And uh, yes. the struggle is not there, but I know the struggle exists in other ways, in other aspects, and it's probably more of a subtle thing than a dire physical thing as it is back east. So it's just so interesting mm-hmm. to go from one one culture to another, even though like we're the same country, it's definitely a whole other culture. Absolutely. You, Absolutely. And you must, the you, struggle... Oh, go ahead. I'm I was sorry. just going to say, you must have faced something similar going from there down to like tropical Florida as well. Yes. And, you know, when, when you do get hit by a really nasty blizzard or nor'easter up in the northeast, people come out to help each other and you see your neighbors and, and it almost puts people in a good mood because they're happy to be helping other people. Um, and then you see that down here in the south when a big hurricane hits or some other type of, of massive storm. But I'm finding um, maybe because people can be outside all the time down in the warmer climate that you know your neighbors better, you see them, and there really is such a thing as a southern hospitality. It's been it's been a wonderful experience. Yeah. Uh, geez, also there's more of an extroverted uh lifestyle i find whereas uh a lot of everybody wants to stay in back east no one wants to go out and do things the things that there are to do have have kind of shut down for the winter too you're not going to have as many plays at the theater you're not going to have as many uh, events to go to uh right because they know they know too that uh and i know again from a musician's background that you can throw a show in the summer and it can be packed and you can throw the exact same show in the winter and you know, it might rain or it might snow or just be cold that night and nobody's going to show up. So everybody just has a whole different mindset, you know, even though it's the exact same bands we're playing the same price at the same venue. No, just nobody shows up because uh, it was a little bit cold tonight. It wasn't even the coldest as as it's been, but it was a little bit cold. <laughs> so there's a lot of that goes on. And uh, it's really cool to live somewhere where that's not such a huge obstacle. You know, like we can go out all winter long here and go and, and find things to do in the city. Again, but then I got to go into the city. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's not good or bad. It just, it is what it is. It has, it's, uh, it definitely has offerings. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it is what it is. I think that was the the slogan of of 2017. I had a buddy who said it is what it is. Like it, it was his catchphrase. <laughs> that was it, it, it is what it is. And, and, and if you unpack it, it's such like a profound statement. Like it is what it is. You know, yeah, we all are exactly where we are supposed to be and doing what we're supposed to be doing at this point in the timeline kind of thing. If you look at it that way, uh, everything, just, right. everything is what it is and where it is. And that's all you can really say about it. Uh, anything more is just uh, adding our humanness to it, right? Like we add the way that we we try and put personalities on our pets. Like we try and make them more human to, and it really complicates right. things because no, it's just a dog and the dog just does dog things. You know, I can put as many personality traits and put all these projections onto the dog as I want, but underneath it all, that's just a bunch of crap I've added to make life more complicated. And geez, we do that with everything from kids to even items that we own, you know, we spin little stories around some things, you know, like, oh, I got this when I was traveling down in Africa and it's a stick from something, you know, like you just make things up and, and embellish all these stories. And, uh, and for what, you know, just for a good chuckle. <laughs> I know, you know, when you think about it, what is our life in this existence, except for the stories that we create around it. And it's our human mind that makes these stories. Uh, and we, we can create them to be great or we can create them to be terrible and whether they're beautiful or not beautiful, they're human stories that we put on things. And then we begin to see experiences to confirm our stories. Right. So what are the stories that we don't create ourselves? Those are the stories that I'm interested in. Uh, Stories of, nature and i don't mean nature like the forest i mean like like human nature kind of stories those are the interesting ones i mean we can make up stories about uh a, a spider-mans and and things like that all, all day long and fantasy stuff and those are really captivating and they really hold your attention but at the same time i, I like a real a real human story sometimes not not something that's being created through creativity, but is being like like a tale being told that is a tale that's been told a thousand times over all over the world. Those and those are what make like a great movie. When you see a great film, they usually speak to many different people on many different levels. Yeah, isn't that something? Because like you said, some stories seem um, infinite, you know, and and can apply to any time in our past or in our future. And then other stories are very temporal, very, you know, almost like more like a fad. Um, and, And what's the truth and what's not the truth? And it, for me, I think it boils down to recognizing that that we are seeing life through our own filters, that we are weaving our stories. Um, and then that 
is a feeling of more empowerment or choice that, you know, okay, I'm creating a story about this and I get it. So I'm not powerless to this story. I'm just more like an observer of this story. Yeah. And it's interesting how, uh, and I'm just relating back to movies, films again. It's interesting how the action movies with the most flashy stuff going on, the most gunshots, the most uh, movement are the stories are just lacking. Like they don't have a story. Like the action is almost becoming the story. It's like, well, what happened here? This robot fought another robot for two hours on the screen. Oh, okay. And what happened in the end? One robot won, the other one lost. (laughs) And that's pretty much it. Oh, what happened then? The bad robot went away, but he'll probably be back for the next movie. Don't worry. And whereas you take uh, stories, books, films, plays even, that don't have all the action, that's when you get deeper into character development and you get deeper into the storylines and you get deeper into the... It's it's almost a deeper form of entertainment. It's a it's a it's more of a geez, what's the word? <laughs> it's more of an intellectual form of entertainment. Sure, I suppose, yeah. Sure. Which is really cool. Sure, and it's amazing what can open up when you hear or read or see a story that reveals something new to you that you hadn't thought before. And that can just open up a whole new avenue, a whole new world for you. Yeah. So, geez, I guess when you're working with your clients too, you probably you probably hear a lot of stories because I I know that the, it's just one of those professions, right, where people come in and they want to tell you their life story, and right. I guess from that you can uh, glean what you will to, to try and help them out. And I, I guess that. For me, that's the first question I would ask to a new client. I'd just say, so what's your story? Let's go back to the beginning. Where were you born? What part of the world? Okay, there's a good start. (laughs) Yeah, and then part of the story is that, you know, we tend to put labels on ourselves or maybe we've held labels that other people or society have put on us, you know, and some labels are commonly held, like what's it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be young? What does it mean to be old? Like um, these labels that we have on ourselves. So if we explore these stories, explore these labels, you can peel a label off if you feel it's not serving you or pick a new label, assign a different one to you. Um, But the stories, you know, you might be hanging on to a story of victimhood from being very young, but maybe you don't want to have that label anymore. So definitely stories, they aren't who we are, but they can teach us an awful lot about, you know, how we see ourselves, how we see the world and and how we can change if we want to change that label. Yeah. Yeah, man, labels too. In this day and age, everything is about being in a box so that you can be marketed to. And... The funny thing, I I love marketing and I love reading about it. And I think it's like one of the most evil, evil, sinister things in the world is marketing and advertising when it's being done in the way that it is with the psychological warfare as it is right now with because I mean, they use they use the light, color, sound 
to make you want things that you don't actually want. It's almost like a sick form of hypnotism. And people don't even realize that it's happening everywhere just in the form of, and it doesn't have to be on a screen. The fact that when I look at every man in this city and every man is wearing pants, that just reinforces the idea that everybody has to wear pants. And that puts you in that box that men wear pants. So when you need to go buy clothes for yourself, you're probably going to go buy pants instead of uh, a tutu or instead of uh, uh, leggings. Well, I wear leggings because of all the yoga, but, (laughs) uh, you know, like there's subtle, subtle things like that. And uh, maybe there's other options. Maybe everybody doesn't have to wear pants. Maybe you can just wrap sarongs around ourselves which i also do <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to make the world more like me here a little bit one podcast at a time one podcast at a time but no uh it's it's just funny there's things like that that we don't think about you know that, that are affecting us and our marketing towards us every day i mean that's such a great example about a thought or a belief that is so ingrained so universal that it feels natural like of course men wear pants but like you don't even think that oh that's a belief I don't have to subscribe to if I don't want to and so so many of our beliefs were um, adopted by us at such a young age that we don't even we just take them as to be natural truths but they don't have to be yeah yeah I guess that's a better way to put it a natural truth and uh, But how many of these things are there? How long do we have to go back until the, the day that we were born to unpack what all these things are that, that we don't have to subscribe to, as you said? Right. Mm. Well, I think if it's a belief that isn't serving you, that those are the ones that you want to explore. But, you know, if, if you're comfortable with the idea that men wear pants, then that's fine. You don't have to delve deeply into that one. <laughs> uh, I think any belief that's holding you back from being your authentic self. And I like to just go to a very core belief. I mean, we were created in the image and likeness of our grand maker, whatever you choose to call that. And so anything that takes away from that doesn't have to be true. So I don't have to have a body that gets arthritis once I turn age 35, or I don't have to believe that there's flu season in, you know, every winter. I don't have to believe that because everybody else in the office caught a cold that I'm going to catch it too. So, you know, any belief that is out of alignment with my core central belief that, hey, I'm, I'm created in the image and likeness of this universal intelligence, like the force that created the universe created me. So I don't have to subscribe to these limiting beliefs, no matter how popular they are or how much of society believes in them, that I can think differently. So uh, we're just coming upon an hour now, Christine, and I wanted to ask uh, one more question. Um, and this might be a, a lengthy one as well, but how does someone find their core beliefs or their core values? Like there has to be an exercise that the people at home can follow along with because this gets said all the time, find your core belief or find your core values. 
uh, even just the word core fill in the blank that is said so many times, but no one ever really uh, tells you how to do it uh, in the sense that it's like with the word transmute, people say you have to transmute this energy, but no one ever says like, what does that really even mean? And you look up the definition of transmute and it just means to move over to exchange and no one ever really gives the example of how to do it. And so then I had heard on a podcast the other day, the person just straight up asked like, okay, how do I do that? How does someone at home do that? The listeners. So I guess for transmuting, it was more of a, a mental exercise and visualization was going on to transmute. For a core belief, there must be a little, there must be a way that people at home could write down some things on a little worksheet and maybe figure out what a core belief is. Sure. Well, I'll give you my personal take on this. I think that getting in touch and discovering your core belief is a process of allowing it to come to you rather than chasing it down. I think it's the sort of thing that the the harder you try with your human mind to find it, the more elusive it becomes. So this is an exercise for meditation, for getting quiet, for being in a state of reception, receiving and listening and feeling in your heart or in your gut that something resonates with you as opposed to it being a thought in your human thinking mind. And I know that is a lot less sexy of an answer than, you know, climb to the top of a mountain and it will be revealed to you, you know, and and when, when you're seeking, it feels like the last thing you want to do is submit to the to the waiting and attracting and allowing it to come to you. But I think that the more you can do that, the more you can be a receiver rather than a pursuer, that that is when the answers come to you. Right. Yeah. That is so cool. That is so cool. Uh, yeah. I think uh, Looking back, I can see those moments, too, when I've just kind of like thrown in the towel almost, that feeling of like, ah, oh, you know what? Forget about it. Uh, I, I give up looking for the answers. And then there they are. <laughs> Bam. And they hit you like a ton of bricks. Right. <laughs> and, you know, some practical, if you, some practical things to help me be in that state is take a walk in nature, fold the laundry, you know, things that occupy get my my human mind quiet that's also when when the answers often will come to me as opposed to when i'm trying to think about it yeah yeah cool awesome christine well hey it's been a blast having you here finally after some kerfuffles of technology they 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 say the robots are taking over but i'm not seeing it yet i'm just seeing a, a lot of confusion <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Christine, for being here. And geez, I, I look forward to talking to you again in the future because we, again, we've only scratched the surface of, of all the things. Yes. Thank you so much, Jay. This is a great experience. All right. Have a good day. You as well. That was awesome okay that episode needed a lot of editing i'll admit it 
there were some glitches. We had some phone issues. That kind of sucked. Yeah. Uh, I guess you listeners don't have any idea what goes into these kinds of things, do you? I mean, uh, I always joke around with everyone when we are doing these shows and I say, no edits. This is what it is. And that just kind of makes the guests, you know, respect the art form, I guess. Because if you start telling guests they can edit this stuff, they would never get released. We would sit and comb through everything that was said and then run it through some kind of weird media filter to make sure that it's okay and that it's something positive to put out there. Then we'd have to debate and argue over the controversial pieces. And it's like, no, that's not what we're doing here. These shows are full and complete and I don't edit stuff, but sometimes there's a glitch or someone needs the washroom or someone's phone shut off, you know, something glitched. I often chop those out, but just so that everyone at home knows, I don't try and make it flawless in the edits. I often put in a weird little radio glitch noise and sometimes a little bleep of music. And then after the glitch, I'll say something like, and we're back and we're gone. That's it folks. Have another good week. Peace, love, and light, namaste, and all that other good noise. Until next week.